Welcome into the latest episode of the Think Deeper podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jack Wilkie, joined, as always, by Will Harib, Joe Wilkie. Fellas, we are coming at our audience on a Monday night, Tuesday morning, if you're getting it on Tuesday morning, as regular as always. You know, guys, you know you can count on us almost as much as you can count on Tom Brady stealing headlines and playing football. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. I got to say, I know a lot of people saw that coming. I was shocked. I really was shocked. He did not seem to be the Brett Favre type that would just waffle back and forth on his retirement. But, hey, I've doubted him before, and he proved me wrong again. So He seemed maybe miffed at Schefter for breaking it early, and I wonder if it's just like, I never die. I'll, I'll be back this week <laughs> or this, this season, and I'll retire again and come back again. The one thing I'll say about Tom Brady, the guy never ages. Like, he is in – better shape than I will ever be in. And the guy's going to be 70 and be better in better shape than I, I, that's, I can't stand the guy personally. Um, I, you know, as a Broncos fan, of course, we just got Russell Wilson pretty pumped about that, but I can't stand Tom Brady. I have to respect how hard he works to make sure that he's in enough, you know, he's in top shape to be able to come back. Was he 43? That's just, he'll be 45 when the season starts. Are you serious? Five years old. Yep. Good night. Should be having grandkids by now. <laughs> oh we apologize to all of our listeners over forty-five years old. Uh, as always, had to start with a little uh, <laughs> little banter there uh, to get us going on the week. Before we get started on this week's episode, though, I do want to remind the listeners we've got a book giveaway. We're giving away Brad Harab, Doctor Brad Harab. My apologies, Brad. Doctor Brad, make sure and get that right. <laughs> um, we're giving away an ebook of his very popular, very useful, very important apologetics book, "Convicted: A Scientist Examines the Evidence for Christianity." What you have to do to enter is go to our Think Deeper Podcast Facebook page, uh, look up Think Deeper Pod- Podcast on Facebook, or go to Facebook.com/slash Think Deeper Pod. Think Deeper Pod. Uh, we've got a post pinned at the top. It says, here's your chance to win a free ebook. What you have to do is like that post, comment on it, share it. We only have two people entered so far. Two people have followed the instructions. What that means is your chances are really good. Um, so if you go drop a comment on there, share the post, um, we'll be doing the giveaway. We'll do the drawing after the page reaches 100, reaches 100 likes. So that is our plan for that. To get those, in on those that. two people are not me and Joe, right? Yeah, Jack? thankfully, <laughs> and it, it's not even our moms or our wives either. So we we do have some people listening and, and participating. I might enter though, because that'll be my uh, that'll be the best chance that I ever have to win a contest. That'd be exciting. All right, so I'm going to make sure everyone knows Joe is disqualified. We're not going to let Joe win anything. Ah. Um, just you know, nice try, Joe. Um, Anyway, so with that, be sure to enter the book giveaway. Help us get the word out about our, our new Facebook page, Think Deeper Podcast on Facebook. And with that, we'll go to today's episode. I'll turn it over to Joe for our topic. So this week, our topic is biggest threats facing the church in 2022. Um, I asked my congregation, what are some things you want me to teach? And this is actually one of them that I got uh, from a guy. And so I'll be teaching this soon. Uh, and so I thought, hey, this would make a great podcast. And I threw it out to the guys and, and guys, you were open to this. And so, yes, we're into March right now. We realize we're a little bit into the year, but we really want to take a look at the biggest threats facing the church this year and also for years to come. And we're each going to take three. 
some of these might blend together. Might, might, uh, we obviously think similar on certain points, but, um, we're going to jump right in on these biggest threats. And the first big threat that I guess I'm seeing is this lack of authenticity, a lack of authenticity really in everything. Uh, we know we've, we've talked about before, uh, pornography being cheap, being fake, uh, and that pervading uh, society so much, fast food being cheap, being fake, um, social media being cheap. Now we're getting into that affecting the church, worship going over Zoom. Now we're getting reports that um, churches are starting to do a subscription based on meta, which is what Facebook turned into um, for their meta metaverse, I think is what they're calling it, uh, which is kind of like through the Oculus, you know, um, basically getting into a different world and virtual very reality sca- type church. Virtu- thank you. Yeah. Virtual reality. There you go. Have and you so it's a, the, I think it's life church out of Oklahoma has no. that and they do like virtual baptisms. This is horrible. That's very, very weird. Not and good. so what I, yeah, what I saw was like one of them's doing, I think it's 10 bucks a month and you get to, it, it's almost like a Patreon thing where we'll give you extra content for 10 bucks a month through virtual reality church. Um, we're, we live in a weird world, man. (laughs) That's crazy. This is bizarre that we're getting this and we're going to have to contend with this. We're going to have to, to push for what's real in 2022 and in the years beyond. And so this lack of authenticity here, um, again, social media with relationships, those are so many times they're cheap. They're not real. Um, even the Sunday morning Christians, they don't have a real authentic relationship with people in the church. And it's just cheap. It's there's no authenticity to this. The metaverse, I think being a big thing, but worship over zoom. I still, I, I struggle. We did this on the COVID episode um, of people who are still comfortable sitting at home, watching Facebook live church. There's nothing real to that. So my first big threat that I see is a lack of authenticity specifically. And um, I guess the last point I'll get into, I might as well make it because I bring it up later, but also authenticity, I think is allowing ourselves to be known on a deep level. And I am worried that we'll, we'll discuss unity, I think later on here, but I'm worried that in our attempt to be unified, we will not come out with our deepest thoughts, with our deepest struggles, with our deepest, um, beliefs on things. So as to, to keep unity. So instead of understanding, as we've talked about before, weaker brother, stronger brother terminology, we'll just kind of shut up and nobody's really going to be authentic in it. So we all keep our shallow relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And meanwhile, we're divided along ideological lines that will just further drive the division. It'll just be a slower division. So that's my, well, you just said, you just said it right there with the whole shallow relationships angle. And Jack, I'll kick it to you here in just a second, because this is going to tie directly into the, one of the points that I had. But you think about what the New Testament church is built upon, the idea of bearing each other's burdens, you know, uh, confessing your sins one to another, forgive, being there for each other. In this fake, cheap social media world that we live in, what is everybody doing on social media? They're putting their best foot forward. They're showing the right. best pictures of their family, the best pictures of their home. You know, we talked about it before, all their vacation, all their vacation pictures, they're showing how great their life is. You don't see the the dark days on social media. You don't see people's down days, people's depressed days. And so we come to worship service. And, and this is a point that I'm sure you guys have made before in sermons and things. And we put on our, our best face, right? You know, 
how are you doing in the Did whole week? I'm do- yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm doing great. You know, good to see you when you really may not be doing great. And so I think it's a good point. And you talk about lack of authenticity. The new Testament screams the fact that we need to be authentic with each other. We got to bear each other's burdens. We've got to confess our sins to be to one, one to another. We can't just, again, get to the hallway. Hey, how you doing? I'm, I'm doing great. Well, good. I'll, I'll see you Wednesday night. We can't do that. You know, there has to be an authentic, Hey, I'm, I'm really struggling. And, and I, could you pray for me? Could we go to lunch this week? Could we talk about it? Um, the, go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, the reason why I think this is such a big problem, it's always been a problem, right? That this is not new. People keeping it shallow on Sunday mornings. Um, the reason why I view this as such a big threat is because it's being pushed so much. The fake is being pushed more than ever. Um, sure. Like with the metaverse coming in and with social video media, games, yeah, and, video yeah, games and everything being so pervasive in our culture that I think it's worse than ever. And people can look at it and say, well, we've always struggled to be authentic. And that's kind of a We've always worked on well, uh, confessing always, our sins and such. We've always put but, barriers between ourselves and other people to, to hide ourselves, to cushion ourselves from sure. vulnerability and authentic, authenticity, you know, really putting ourselves out there. And but so, these barriers are 90 feet high and well, well, yeah, 20 feet I mean, thick. They're, they're big barriers. And what I think what you're getting at is now we're staring down the, the face of a one that's a new barrier that's getting bigger all the time um, with right. tech, with Zoom Church, with you know, the pole of the metaverse and just being immersed in the screen right in front of us all the time, rather than the people around us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, and you you think about just little little things like who would, how many people would rather send a text as opposed to actually make a phone call and, Mm -hmm. you know, talk to somebody's voice or even go visit them. You know, I would much rather send (laughs) a text. Yeah, I would much. (laughs) All the memes about how hard it is to make a phone call, how hard it is, like that, that man, I got to cancel plans and man, I'm so happy. So excited. Like (laughs) it's a stay on binge Netflix, right? I don't like making phone calls either. I I really don't. I'd, I'd rather handle everything by text, email, you know, but it's not good that way. That's not the way it was meant to be. It's right. easy. Right. And that, it's a lot. That kind of, yeah. I was just gonna say that kind of ties in. I'll go ahead and, and hit my first point. Uh, one of the first, one of the things that I think is a huge issue facing the church. And it, again, it ties into Joe's, but that is the fact that we are, I see congregations moving further and further away from the acts two and acts four version of what the new Testament church is supposed to be. And you say, mm-hmm. well, the acts two acts four version, what version is that? Well, that's the version that God designed to, to begin with. Right. Um, if you, if you study acts two and acts four and, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, Jack, I know you've done a lot of work in this area, but what, what do we see in acts two and acts four and, and throughout the new Testament, as far as the way that the church is built, the way that the church is designed, the way that, that God's people are designed to function together. They're in each other's homes. They're, they're daily. They're in each other's homes, breaking bread together. They're, they're sharing in, in, in fellowship. They're sharing in prayers. How does that compare to this 21st century, 2022 version of church where if we're not live streaming, we're seeing each other once, maybe twice per week, you know, for Mm. an hour at a time, you know, again, saying hello in the hallways, you know, you know, surface shallow talk. How's the weather been? How's this, you know, Alabama football, this and that we don't have. Nobody cares. Like you said, authentic relationships. We're not bearing each other's burdens. But the truth is, again, you know, people have put out great works. Jack's book, Church Reset, is phenomenal. Um, go read it for anybody that hasn't. But it talks about, hey, this is this is a problem. We need to be moving back towards what Acts 2 teaches as far as what the church should look like. But my fear is, and this is why I believe it's a threat, 
I don't see congregations moving in that direction. To tie it into Joe's point, I see congregations moving farther and farther away from the way God designed the church. A, a, a group of people built on the foundation of Christ, number one, but on being there for each other, on, on, on having a relationship that is more that or that is deeper than, you know, did you catch the college football game over the weekend? You know what I mean? Um, oh, yeah. So that that would be the, the first thing that I would bring up again to kind of tie it into your point, Joe. So one of the terms I use in the book is choose your own adventure Christianity. If somebody wants to get really invested and, and really plugged into the work of the church, cool, great, we'll take it, come on in. If somebody doesn't, if they just want to be there Sunday morning, oh, okay, well, we're glad you came. And and there's not really any set expectation for you're part of this family. You're going to be a part of this family. You're going to talk and encourage and, and contribute and, and be expected to be involved. And it, it, when we have this choose your own adventure thing, you can't have Acts 2 or Acts 4 because they needed each other. They depended on each other. They they were selling their possessions for each other. They were fellowshipping with each yep. other. They were studying together, praying together, all the things that, that we're supposed to do together. But we, we kind of, the consumerist, choose your own adventure, or whatever metaphor you want to use is we don't have that. And I think it's a really important point that you bring up as one of these challenges facing the church it's one that's been challenging the church for a long time, and we had better figure it out. I mean, it, it's been such an easy period to be a Christian in America for long before any any of us, any of our listeners were born. The more challenging it gets, the more we actually have to have a real understanding of what church should be. And meaningful relationships have always been important to God. We've talked about this as well, not to keep saying that, but... Um, this I, Genesis two and three that I've been preaching on and, and such of these relationships really, really mattering to God from the very beginning. They've always mattered. The reason the church is important is because God didn't intend us to do this on our own. We should it was keep never a running timer to see like at the start of every episode, how long does it take before Joe goes to Genesis two and three? To Genesis two and three. <laughs> I'm going to, you know, the seven Je minutes this time, <laughs> you know, the Jefferson Bible where like supposedly all of Jesus's uh, words are taken, you know, all the miracles or whatever are taken mm -hmm. out. The Joe Bible is going to be everything but Genesis two and three. It's going to be really thin, <laughs> light, easy to carry around. Uh, you know, those thin line Bibles, that's going to be re my yeah, really thin Genesis two and three only. There yeah. you go. Just Genesis yeah. two, three preach on that all day. Um, but truly, Meaningful relationships are are essential to human functioning. We talked about this on the mental health as well. Everything ties in together. But um, that that vulnerability, yes, my point to the authenticity. But Bill, uh, Bill, can I call you Bill? Is that all right? Um, Bill, Bill Harib. <laughs> no, thank uh, you. <laughs> Billiam. <laughs> there we go. Uh, anyway, to Will's point, where it matters the most is in the church. The authenticity coming into it, and we have struggled with it for a long time. But I think you're absolutely right with threats facing the church. COVID has thrown everything up into the air and how things land. This is the time I think where we can make some changes and we can go back and focus, refocus our, our minds on some of these things. And this well, needs to be one of them. And how do we get back to acts two? Yeah. And you think about how many people feel alone probably because they don't have the, the, the deep relationships with those in their congregation. You know, that's what the church, that's one of the purposes of the church designed to be there so that we can be there for each other so that you don't feel like you're running this Christian race alone. And yet we've got a lot of churchgoers that almost certainly feel alone that's because they don't have the relationships. That's something I've run into since writing a church reset is how many people reach out and are like, yes, I would love this out of church. This is what I'm looking mm -hmm. for. And, and you just know in every congregation, there's people in the pews like, 
This is it. Why, why can't we go hang out together? Why can't we do stuff together? And people literally have to turn somewhere other than the church for those things. Their social mm-hmm. clubs, their things that they get involved in, their hobbies, their, their interests, you know. Um, there's just things all over town that are really built for, here's where you can find friends, people with a, a like interest, and, and come here because you're not getting it at church. Why do we think, or I, I guess... Why is it that people don't know this? I think of your dad's sermon, Willis, goes way back where he talked about, and I know Francis Chan and other people have, have talked about this, where if you were dropped on an island with just scripture, what would you come up with? And mm-hmm. if you're reading Acts 2 and you're reading Acts 4 and you're reading really through the entire book of Acts, it looks nothing like it does today. And right. I got to just feel like it's just been a lack of teaching on well, our part. We molded church around ourselves rather than rolling ourselves around church. Mm. Mm, yeah. What works for us, where it's convenient for us. That's why I say it's choose your own adventure, because if somebody really does want to plug in, sometimes they'll they'll have the opportunity and there'll be like that core group of a few people and everybody else just doesn't want to be a part. And so, you know, again, it's molding church around ourselves rather than the other way around. And to and yeah, and to sum it up, that that's the problem is that we are moving too far away from that when we again, in all actuality, need to be moving as close as we can to the way, again, not the way we designed the church, but the way God designed the church for us to function in it. Uh, Joe, go ahead. And it's like COVID ripped everything apart, not to go back to this, but truly it's like COVID ripped everything apart and we can't help but change something the way we did it. When you go two years without any really authentic relationships, when you go two years without being able to do any of the X2 stuff, two years is, uh, some people are still going on two years. I mean, hopefully a year in people were really starting to realize, hey, this is we got to get back to being in the building, but it's been two years since life has been normal. And this is, this ought to be what comes out of this horrible stretch of not being around each other, not being able to fulfill the commands we see in scripture, the one another commands, not looking like X2. We didn't really look like X2 before, but now we have an opportunity to reset things in, in a way that maybe we'd never have before where people are able to open their minds and say, okay, hold on. Maybe there is something to this. Maybe we need to take our relationships with each other more seriously because we just went so long without having them and realized this was horrible. This was a disaster to not be in the building with each other, worshiping together, bearing one another's burdens, encouraging each other on a, on a week by week basis. You take those things out and yes, it creates mental health issues, but it also creates a spiritual void in people's life that they're desperately in need of. So those that recognize it, that's the next phase going forward. So though it's a huge threat facing the church, there's also big, big opportunities, I think, Will, for, for our points, the authenticity and us moving from Acts 2. Um, there's big opportunities to reverse that and change course. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Jack, how about you? What's your first first reason? Yeah, I'll first finish threat, out the first say. round with Bible knowledge. Um, it It's one of those, you always hear the stories about, oh, the Church of Christ, we were known as, as the people of the book, and we just used to know the Bible so much better. And, and I mean, it's kind of hard to deny, um, not only in, in not just being able to, to quote and, and reference and, and turn through the Bible back and forth like that, but a familiarity with the stories, a familiarity with, with key doctrines. Uh, I think there's three reasons for that. One is a steady diet of topical-only preaching. Topical preaching is great. It has its place. I, I, I don't mean to um, push back on that at all, except if that's all people get. 
if you show up and it's let's flip all over the Bible all the time to kind of preach the sermon that the preacher put together. But if if we really dig into books, if our classes or sermons, if at some point we're teaching people how to work through the Bible for themselves, they're going to grow from that. And if we don't do that, they won't. Um, Number two, I see a lot of is red letter only you know, of, of really sticking to Jesus in the Gospels. In fact, it's a really popular thing to say, well, Paul said that, not Jesus. I mean, there are some prominent teachers in the denominational world who say, well, you know, I'm going to go with Jesus instead of Paul, as if they contradict each other. Oh, wow. And, wow. and you know, wow. with Jesus, what they're getting at is kind of a, a gentleness, and Jesus wouldn't confront people. Jesus wouldn't care about things that are wrong. And, and Paul's a jerk. Yeah, and Paul's the bad guy. Paul was just mean, and Jesus was was right. Well, no, they don't disagree with each other. Um, and then the third reason why knowledge is, is failing is how much it's swayed by culture. How much it's swayed by mm. culture. Uh, we all have to realize that. In the same way, you know, the, does a fish know it's wet? Do we know how much uh, the culture sways our interpretation of the Bible? And And that goes left and right. That goes to... You know, I, I was just studying on civil disobedience a couple of weeks ago and, and masks and all those questions that have, we've had over the last couple of years. And, man, it I was really challenged by it because, man, I came into it with a certain perception of how this should go and what God wants us to do. And as I read it, I'm like, no, I'm kind of wrong on that. You know, I need to be a little more submissive about this than I thought. And, and yet culturally, I had all the explanations for why it was the right Christian thing to do to not be as submissive. And so we get swayed by culture, and, and the, essentially what I'm saying there is we don't open the book. We, we, we only open it to confirm ourselves rather than to teach us, is, is well, how that we was get part that of lack of knowledge. I was going to add Go ahead. As, as another reason is we only open the book when at the building, you know, when we're in yeah. our Sunday morning Bible class, when we're in our Wednesday night Bible class, when the preacher's preaching. Um, you know, I work with young people. I see that exclusively, you know, not you know, not just at one place, but, you know, traveling around to other places, young people don't have the Bible knowledge that, that they had 20 years ago. And part of it, we can't blame that on, well, the Bible classes aren't as good. That may be part of it, but, you know, studying at home, you know, why aren't more families studying together at home? Why aren't more, you know, baptized young people taking it upon themselves, open the book themselves, you know, don't run, don't, don't view the four walls of the church building is the only place that you can open the book and op- open God's word and build your Bible knowledge. So I would add that as well as another reason that our Bible knowledge is, is suffering. It's a good point. And I think we need to decentralize kind of the the power, so to speak, of, well, preacher so-and-so says it or whatever else. You can understand the Bible on your own. You can come to amazing conclusions and do some really good exegesis on your own. Learn how to study the Bible, and it completely opens you up. I've said this multiple times before to people like, if so, Jackie and I went through Bear Valley. What would you say was the single most important class in Bear Valley that you got? The exegesis, how to study exegesis, exegesis, because everything else, like man, fantastic knowledge, so many good classes, love my teachers. Um, knowing how to study it for myself was a game changer. That's what we need to get into. Is we need to stop looking at it as well. Basically, that's for other people to know. Or, Will, I think that speaks to your point. Why we come together? Well, they just know the Bible. They can explain the Bible better than I ever could. Look, if you've been a Christian for 40 years and you can't explain certain basic biblical principles without going to preach or so-and-so, that's a problem. You're intended to grow and to know your word. And, and to if you don't know how to study your Bible, ask somebody. Ask the preacher. Don't just have him study it for you and then, you know, chew up the information. It's kind of like a, a mama bird that chews up the, the food, you know, the worms, and then gives it to her kids. Yeah, when you're a kid, you're supposed to do that. And at some point, 
you go get your own worm. At some point you leave the nest, you got to spread your wings and fly. And then your point is to basically have kids and, and pass it down to the next generation. That's the point of this being a multi-generational second Timothy two, two, right? There's four different generations in that verse mentioned of like, I received it. I passed it to you, Timothy, you passed it to other men. And, and, and Paul doesn't say I received in that one, but really five generations are represented are uh, from Paul getting it to passing it to Timothy, to passing it to others who are supposed to pass it to others. This is a cyclical thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and our lack of Bible knowledge, it's easy to just rely on somebody else. Um, I was going to speak to another one of your points, Jack, but it, it goes to show how good you are of a Church of Christ preacher, that even in your three points for biggest threats, you have three points in <laughs> yeah, your three points, three three. which I'm just, I'm impressed. So I don't even alliterate heard, them though. Um, uh, that would have been good. Okay. So part of this, it's very easy to say, man, I'm really busy and, and life is busier than ever before. Uh, there's just so much going on in the world. Time for Bible study is really hard to come by. And there's a part of me that's like, you know what? The real the word world really is very busy. There's another part of me that just says Netflix, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Hulu, Amazon Prime, HBO Max, Disney Plus. I don't want to hear that we're too busy. You know, uh, when I was right. even when I was a kid, I'm not even that old. I'm old compared to you guys, but I'm not that old. Uh, when I was You're a kid, yeah. you know, you got the one basic ESPN channel that sometimes had good stuff on, sometimes it didn't. Um, your local sports teams mostly got on your local channels, but they didn't even have all the games some of the time. And and so you didn't have that. Now, any given night of the year, I can pull up ESPN Plus, and there are 50 games to watch. I can watch anything from any, like, I can, my three-year-old likes it when I put on, or she, she asked me to put on Cricket. We put I, like you can, and so we say, well, we don't have time for stuff. We got time. We've got time for what we make time for. And and if well, I I will buy that argument legitimately if you do not have a social media account and do not have a streaming service. If you don't have those well, things and you say I'm still swamped, okay, maybe. But if if you do, let's let's look at what's taking priority first. Isn't that the John Piper line that you brought up before, Jack? The fact that one of the benefits of social media yeah. is that there will no longer be any excuse for, well, I didn't have enough time for prayer, or yeah. I didn't have enough time for Bible study. You know, with with all those things that we have, you, you articulated the point perfectly, is that nobody can actually argue that they don't have enough time. Because <laughs> the truth is, is, it's obvious, those, those things should be taking a secondary um, priority to the number one priority, which should be growing closer to God. And Hosea 4, 6, we all know uh, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And we look at that, and I honestly think we rest on our laurels a little bit, specifically in the Church of Christ. I think we did know our Bible really well. There's always that, well, you used to be able to, you could take a Church of Christ person into a courtroom and put your hand on their head, and it was just as good as having your hand on the Bible, because they knew the Bible so well. Okay, that's fantastic. But I also will say, and this is not to pick on that generation, however, Jack, to your first point about kind of proof texting, that was a lot of that preaching. Well, let me let me explain what Paul means by jumping over to Peter and jumping over to James and jumping back to the gospel of John. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let Paul explain himself. Paul says it right in the context. And um, because we don't really know how to stay in context, we don't know how to study our Bible, we really don't know how to read the Bible as a, as a whole piece, we would rather just jump all over to try to make our point, ripping half of those verses out of context. And it makes for a weak and cheap... Um, Bible study. It's not that that's horrible all the time, but when we go up against people who really know their Bible, including some atheists, they will destroy us, need us alive. If we stick to the same, like, well, I kind of know my Bible. Do we really know it? And are we trying to improve in our Bible knowledge? Well, the other thing is we know our stuff on certain things, right? We've got baptism down. 
We've got the fact that we shouldn't use instruments. We've got women's roles. We've got kind of the, the boiler right. boilerplate doctrine stuff that we got to make sure we know because we're quote unquote church of Christ. When you get beyond some of those things, a lot of people are in deep, deep water because they haven't actually taken the time to study anything past baptism or and, past any of the, again, go ahead. Oh, just without, without that knowledge, without building on your knowledge, then when something happens, when something, when the culture changes, you go, I don't, I don't know what to do about this with gender, you right. know, you, you see it and how it's progressed to transgenderism where it is today. It's because of the church, Christianity, you know, like where Christians don't have answers for this. We don't have an answer on what a man or a woman is anyway. And Joe's going to get to that a little bit later. And so I think that's kind of what I want to wrap with here is all of our points here, in a way, build on not enough Bible knowledge, not enough knowledge, uh, not just information transfer, but how to apply it. And so I think we'll we'll finish up the first round there. And so our points were, or mine was Bible knowledge. Mine was lack of authenticity. And mine was that we're moving further and further away from the Acts 2 version of the church. So mine's going to really dovetail, I think, well with this lack of Bible knowledge, Jack, and that is my second biggest threat facing the church is an inability to articulate the why. And this touches, again, really well on what you just said of, I don't think we understand why we believe what we believe on a lot of things. And I run into this when when I'm teaching, when I'm preaching, um, specifically working with teens and such, we don't pass down, we pass down the what just fine. Well, I know I'm supposed to be baptized. I know I'm not supposed to, I know I'm not supposed to fornicate, right? I know I'm not supposed to lie. I know I'm not supposed to to do these things. Okay, but why? Well, because God says it's wrong. Okay, why does God say it's wrong? Because you got a lot of people in the culture being like, well, it, kind of the Satan. Did God really say that? Is that what he meant? You know, what look at this verse and try to rip things out of context. And because we don't have a strong grasp of why God says what he says, we're we're blown with the wind, it seems like a lot of times. And so the biggest thing that I think is going to be an issue is we are reaching more of an unchurched population than we've ever reached. I saw a 2021 Gallup poll for the first time ever, less than 50% of people attend in church over the year for the first time ever in our history of America. Um, we've always been a church going people. Well, that's changing. So we're going to start and Jack, you're going to get into this. So I don't, I don't want to step on your point too much, but we are looking to reach an unchurched population more than ever you don't, you're, we're not going to do it the way we've always done it with, let me tell you what to think. Let me tell you what Christ says about salvation. We have to back it up and say, why does that even matter? They don't know why it matters. They don't know why Christ is important. They don't know why the Bible says what it says. Um, so when people ask us why, well, why is transgenderism wrong? Well, because God says so. Okay. Point specifically to where God says transgenderism is wrong. Well, think there's a verse in Leviticus somewhere that a man shouldn't dress in women's clothing. And that's pretty much where we go to. We didn't understand to your point, Jack, we didn't understand why gender was important in the first place. It's the same thing as like, we can talk about how bad adultery is, but we don't understand why marriage, why it's a sacred covenant, why it's important to begin with. That's why we have so much divorce in the church. Okay. You didn't cheat on your spouse. Good for you. Why is marriage important? When I work with people on um, premarital counseling. I'll say, well, why are you getting married? Well, you know, it's because it's, it's, they make me happy or I love them a lot. Okay. Why you keep asking why? And at some point people's argument will almost always break down unless it is strongly rooted in scripture. There is a reason for marriage and it's rooted in scripture, but a lot of us don't know that. Why, why is sex important? What's the purpose of sex, right? They can't tell me that. They don't know. Well, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's, well, it's to please one another. Okay. 
Well, why is that important? Right? So keep asking yourself why, and we get down to, man, we are woefully ignorant. I feel like with why we do what we do nine times out of 10. Is so, that, uh, I know that, that, but is that right? You can see, you that see generationally that? too of, you know, our grandparents, that, that very biblically knowledgeable generation. And then, you know, the next generation down where maybe not as much and, and maybe they don't have the why and, but, but they keep kind of doing it out of tradition. It's what they were raised in or, or whatever. And then you get onto a third generation where if their parents don't have the why they're going to go, what's the point? You know, like I'm right. so detached from the why it's multiple generations back. It's decades back since, since the why was articulated. This doesn't matter to me. And so I'm out of here. And so we've talked about the youth dropout rate. And I think that is a part of it of not knowing why, and maybe even their parents not knowing why. Well, you think about first Peter three fifteen, you know, where he says, uh, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you your reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You ask that question to, and I'm not even going to pick on the young people, ask that question to, you know, your average 35 to 45 year old in the church. Hey, what's the reason for the hope that is in you? You know how many crickets you're going to hear most of the time? It's because we don't know why. We don't know why we believe what we believe. And so, Joe, I think it's a it's a really good point in the sense that we have to get past, you know, you know, and I know we just talked about Bible knowledge, but sometimes, you know, you have to have both of them. You can't just have the what, the information, the, the you know, trivial facts. You also have to have the why. Why is this important? It's why Jack, is this what God said? Jack touched on it at the very end, the uh, the practical. How does this practically apply to my life? And that's the why. We know what all day long. Well, don't do this. Do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Um, I presented it before. It's a cheesy little thing, but I presented as donut theology. Donut do this. Do not do that. And it's full of holes. <laughs> it's full of holes is the issue because you know what's at the center. That donut hole that's missing is the why. We can go around it all day long, but if we say do not do this and do not do this and do not do this, we have an entire generation, as Jack's talking about, that is leaving. These millennials are leaving the church because that's all they've ever heard. Don't do this. Don't do that. Well, how did you like that as a person? How do adults like it? We certainly know kids don't, but how do adults like it when they're told, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this? We don't. We don't have anything to run toward. That's the why is what are we actually running toward in our Christianity? Why do we have this hope that lies within us, right? Well, like you're saying, why do we, why do we obey God? At, at a base level, why do we obey God? Is it to run from, from hell? Or is there another reason here on earth? Because so often running toward, you know, or running away from, I should say, running away from hell um, and running rather than running toward heaven or even, you know, there's even in that, why are we running toward heaven? Is it just for the good stuff or is it for God? If we're running away from hell, well, why? Because I just don't want to go to a bad place. Okay. But that could be, that could be 60 years away for these young people. It could be 70, 80 years away. So you're telling them, don't do something now that's going to feel good. And that's going to seemingly solve your problems because in 80 years, it might cost you. No wonder why we don't keep people. There's a reason why, but we don't tell them that we just push out the, we delay the, the punishment basically. God has very clear reasons why we don't fornicate, right? Well, All we know is he says, don't do it. And so we don't do it. But why don't we ever get into the why? This goes back to kind of the Bible knowledge thing of our Christianity is us centered. It's the whole thing. The, the whole reason for Christianity, the whole reason for the world, for the Bible, for everything is to get us to heaven. No, the whole mm -hmm. reason is 
the glorification of God, uh, the the coronation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's at the center of everything. The Lordship of Christ is is what makes everything go. Is is the the pillar upon which all this stands. And generationally, again, going back years, we have understood Christianity as how individuals get saved. It's about me. No, it's about uh, the, my part of it is submitting myself to Him. And, and becoming part of something bigger than myself rather than the fulfillment of myself. And the why so often is going to point back to God created it because this stands in the way of us getting to know him and getting to know him is the greatest thing in the universe. So if he says, don't do something and we don't understand the why we trust that God has a reason. If we dig far enough, if we dig deep enough, I think we will eventually come to reasons on all sorts of stuff, all sorts of issues that we're just afraid to touch. And that would be the other issue, I think, in this that I'm not even going to get into too much, but a big threat face in the church is all the things that we avoid because we don't feel like we have all of the right answers. And it goes to your point, Jack, of, of lack of biblical knowledge, but I think we're scared of engaging the culture in some ways because we don't feel like we're fully grounded in why God says to do X, Y, or Z. Is it really that bad that, you know... Even some churches, obviously homosexuality is wrong, but even some churches will get into the, well, it's, it's just love, right? Why is it important if you don't have a strong theology surrounding marriage and the importance of marriage and the importance of men and women and gender, which again, I think speaks to the why, the deeper meaning, you'll be swayed by all sorts of stuff. And what are we seeing with a lot of churches? They're swayed by all sorts of stuff because they're not grounded in biblical truth and, and more than anything, practical applicable biblical truth. I'm going to mold uh, roll my second point kind of into this. Um, yours about not knowing the why and, and how people, we, we're assuming a knowledge maybe that they don't have. Um, my second point, the second challenge to the, the church is evangelizing the negative world. And when I say the negative world, I'm drawing on uh, an article by a guy named Aaron Wren. If you haven't read it, I think it's must-read, especially if you're in ministry. Aaron Wren, R-E-N-N. And he goes into the three worlds uh, that the Christianity has seen in America. The positive world when, hey, you're a Christian. Cool, that's great. Uh, It might give you business opportunities. You might be more hireable. You might be more electable. You know, people would put that little fish on their business logo. So, hey, you're a Christian. I want to do business with you. That was the positive world. Then there was the neutral world, which is, you're a Christian? Oh, okay, cool. You know, you do that. You're, that's, that's fine. You do your own thing. Now, and, and that was a very short period, maybe the 90s, early 2000s, but now we're in the negative world. We're in the world where if you say, I'm a Christian, you're going to be viewed with skepticism in many parts of the country because, oh, you're those people who hate gay people. You're those people who, uh, you know, think everybody's going to hell. You're those th- those people who don't tolerate X, Y, and Z. And, and so we live in this culture where Christianity is perceived negatively. And yet all of our evangelism strategies are based on the positive world and the neutral world. Uh, in preaching school, mm. we, we got drilled big time on here's what Baptists believe, here's what Presbyterians believe, here's what Lutherans believe, here's what you know people just across the spectrum believe. No, they don't. The people that go to the Baptist church, uh, I mean, the biggest church in my town is the First Baptist Church. I would venture to say that most of them don't have any idea what core Baptist doctrines are. Um, sure. The, like, two through probably eight, number, no, you know, rankings of biggest churches in this town, 
don't have a name. They, they, they're kind of Baptist-ish. They're the community church, unlabeled. Wow. The people don't go there because they have a core set of beliefs. They go there because they like it, because they enjoy what they hear there. Um, and so we live in this world where even people in churches don't, again, not, not having the biblical knowledge. And so w- w- the people outside of churches don't know anything. I mean, like basic Bible stories, Noah, um, David and Goliath, uh, even just kind of who Jesus is, people don't have a clue. And yet we go out there going, let me explain to you why water baptism is necessary for salvation. Like, why do I need to even be saved? You know, like, what? why Why should I believe the Bible? And we're starting so, at the wrong point. Is exactly. What we're talking to people, we're 50 years behind on, on that kind of thing. And then the other thing is, you know, that's evangelizing to the positive world of assuming everybody has base Bible knowledge. Then we've got people still evangelizing to the neutral world, which is essentially they know what Christianity is. But they're they're a little bit skeptical of it, so I got to make sure that they like Christians. And so then we kind of shy away from anything that might offend them. And hey, I'm a real nice guy, and and look, we're cool people, and so you you should want to come to church. And if we show them that we're cool, they'll come along. No, they won't, because you can show them how cool you are, and they're like, well, what do you think about homosexual marriage? You're like, well, it's a sin, and I don't support it. Well, you're not cool anymore. It doesn't matter how nice right. of a person you are, you're canceled. And so right. we have to understand what world we're in. In evangelizing now, in 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 reaching out, in teaching people, and well, I, I think that's just been missed big time, and we have to adapt. Well, that's what I was going to say. Bringing up cancel culture, you, you think about what the term being a, uh, what the term Christian uh, denotes these days. It's that you're not tolerant, right? It's that you're intolerant of somebody else's behavior, right. and that is one of the biggest reasons to get canceled these days. Is because you know if you're intolerant, well, you know you have to be tolerant of everybody. And so I want to add. Let me ask you to this, uh, as far as this point goes, um, rather than just you know sometimes we have a tendency to just point out the the problem. What what do you think is the solution to this one? And I'll start with um, Jack since you brought this up. I'll start with you as far as you know we have to figure out. Okay, how do we evangelize to the negative world? In your opinion, from from your experience, how do we do that? What are the things we need to change? You know, I, I brought up already the fact that or what you brought up more, more like it, the fact that we have to change our starting point. Is there anything else that you would add to that as far as this is how we need to start evangelizing to the negative world? So I'm going to reference another article online. A few years ago, there was a book by Rod Dreher called The Benedict Option, and he was kind of acknowledging the negative world and, hey, maybe Christians kind of need to cloister ourselves away, you know, start building Christian communities, areas where where we're going to be cool with each other, where the world is turning against us. And I I can see some value in that. Another guy wrote an article um, called The the Boniface Option, and he was going off of an 8th century uh, monk named Boniface. Um, And so if you just Google it, Boniface Option, the guy has his own blog under that name, and you can probably find the article. And it's really good because Boniface was this guy. He went to Germany. They all worship Thor and Odin. Um, And he walks into town. He's like, I'm going to convert them to Christianity. And they had the tree of Thor there. And the people swore by it, you don't touch the tree of Thor or you'll be electrocuted to death by lightning. It it really depends on where what you believe about demonology and all that. If you believe that's true, it, it might have been that the people had been struck or whatever. Well, Boniface shows up into town. And he's like, oh, well, I believe in Jesus who has conquered, you know, your gods. He's greater than any god that you can throw at me. So somebody get me an axe. And he gets an axe and shows up and chops the tree down and converts the town to Christianity. Oh, <laughs> about that. My man. And the point that this guy makes in his article um, is... That has to be our style. We live in a society of pagans. 
We go and make believers out of them. We go out and, and like hiding ourselves from them. And hey, I'm a really nice guy. And I'm going to have this, this, this presence in your life where I'm going to be really cool. And then you're going to kind of want to come to know me. It doesn't work anymore. We're, we're, we're in a negative culture where you've got to say, Jesus is Lord. You know, let me prove it to you. He walked out of a grave from the dead. And so we've got to get uncomfortable or we've got to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. And I, I struggle with this as much as anybody, but just telling people, no, that, that's wrong. The Bible is real. Jesus is real. The resurrection is real. Heaven is real. Hell is real. And, and not hem hawing around the difficult. We've, uh, referenced the idea of identity in Christ. And I think this is going to be taken to a whole new level uh, and, and understood on a different level as we go forward, because we cannot put our identity in being a nice guy anymore. We cannot put our identity in being super respected and they, they love us. Um, and that doesn't mean we're too clear. I'm not saying to be a jerk. Well, yeah. We're not saying go out there and, and intentionally get on people's bad sides. No, 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 not at all. That's not that's antagonizing, not, right? not antagonizing but not being afraid to stand up for the truth in ways that I don't care about getting canceled online. Cancel me. That's the way that it is. I'm not big enough to be canceled. So I'm not really in a, uh, I'm not, I'm not too worried about that, but um, I think there is a, I'm going to get to this in my third point, but the idea of we got to be men, it's time for men to stand up and say, this is what we're all about. And I'm not going to be the Mr. Nice guy and kind of help you. I'll be nice to you. I'll treat you well, but I'm not going to, you know, bend over and, and just bow down to what you want me to believe or to the social pressures of today. If you're going to call me a bigot, you're going to call me a homophobic. You're going to call me a racist. You're going to call me offended. The whole thing's over. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing, the other point to that, and this is, it sounds like I'm advocating being, being mean, but this is just straight from Jesus. Be willing to shake the dust off your feet and to walk on. Notice that Jesus was not all about getting everybody to like him. As soon as he started getting the following, he goes, hey, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. And people are going, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, what'd you just say? <laughs> like he could have had 5,000 yeah. people at his mega church. He could have been, it could have been, you know, just an amazing event where, oh, wow, we all went away feeling so spiritual. And he intentionally throws something out there that's like, okay, who's with me? Who's actually legit here? Who's, who's going to stick around to understand what I'm talking about? And it's very few. We have to get to that point of not looking for the numbers in church as much as looking for who wants to know, who's actually here to learn. Therefore, I'm not going to shy away from difficult things. I'm not going to shy away from the truth so as to get 5,000 people showing up. I'll get 12 that care about what this actually has to say. And maybe there's more, obviously, with disciples. But we know his 12 apostles, he wanted them to understand him. And that's really what mattered in that moment because he knew they'd shake up the world. He knew what was coming. Um, But I think there's that aspect. The second thing I would say, though, is... And I don't want to, I understand Jack's point and I'm clearly, I agree with him on that, but there is an aspect of very much, I think your church reset, there's a great book that we read, um, total church. Mm-hmm. And it's the idea that the, your idea will everybody from kind of fulfilling acts to being in each other's lives all the time throughout the week. And one of the way I th- ways I think you reach the unchurched is by reaching out and having neighbors come over. Hey, I'm going to have the church over to my house. Anyway, we're going to be having a Devo every Tuesday and and I'll be at somebody else's every Friday or whatever. And you start inviting people to your church or or to your house. And it's not in a church setting per se, but it's full of Bible believing people who are discussing biblical things, but they're also discussing other things and it helps people like it takes away the, wow, this fear of Christianity. Like, no, they're really, they're good people. They're good dudes. 
And it might open them up to the gospel a little bit more to just have them in your life a lot. And it's a way to connect with people and whether they come around to the gospel or not, I think that's it. So that's a long answer. It's the um, love and the offense. You're going to yeah, exactly. show people there's love behind but, it. Go ahead. Yeah, but once again, you know, we have to know the why. It's amazing how all these tie together. Jack, the last thing you said with your point was, you know, we have to, t- you know, teach them and tell them hell is real. Heaven is real. Jesus is Lord. All these things. It's not enough, you know, going back to Joe's point, it's not enough to just know the what we also have to be able to articulate the why. So it's, it's amazing how all these tie together. Um, but let me go ahead and jump to uh, to my second uh, threat against the church that I see as far as uh, moving forward, starting with the year 2022. And that is kind of the what I see as a trend in congregations as a failure to question our standard practices. Um, you, you hear the phrase, you know, if, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And this despite the fact that that's grammatically incorrect as far as the phrase goes you know the idea that well it's not broken so let's just keep doing the same the same thing that we've all, that we've always done as we've referenced the youth dropout rates before just the general you know church dropout rates uh, on previous podcasts we know that our current um, practices our current standards whether it be with evangelism whether it be with the way that we are doing um you know, church these days, as far as the methods and the format, obviously not the doctrine. I would argue that it is broken um, because, you know, the, the numbers don't lie. We're losing roughly 10,000 people per year. If, if you look at the, the Barna research and all the, the numbers that are out there. And so the idea that we're just continuing down the same uh, pathways, again, with our evangelism tactics, uh, with our fellowship tactics, with our uh, youth group tactics, all the, we're doing the same things we've been doing for 20 to 30 years. We're not questioning them. You know, we're, well, that's just how we've always done it. We're going to keep doing it. Why aren't we questioning them? Why aren't we reevaluating them? Why aren't we taking an honest look back and saying, you know, we're still losing the same amount of people that we were losing five years ago. Why is that? What can we restructure? You know, I don't see a lot of congregations doing that. And I know, that, I know that's a very general statement. Um, and I, I'm not targeting one specific congregation. I've, I've gotten to interact with a lot of congregations before. Um, I just don't see a, a lot of questioning. And I'm not saying it. I'm certainly not arguing that we need to question things just for the sake of questioning or let's just be different for the sake of being different. But I don't think anybody can intelligently argue that what we're doing right now as the church globally or nationwide, I should say, is working. I think when, when we're talking class- about growing, certainly not. Go Sorry ahead, Jack. That. I think a classic example of the kind of thing you're talking about is in how many places the gospel meeting is still the big outreach event of the year. Right. A tent meeting or something. Yeah. As I brought up earlier, leaving, you know, making making appointments and things like that, canceling appointments, people don't like getting out, number one. Number two, when you've got all those streaming services I talked about, and you've got social media, you've got enough in your house to keep you entertained. Why are you going to go somewhere, listen to somebody you don't know at a church, you know, where it's very uncomfortable and hard to, to bring yourself you to do that. you don't know anybody. Yeah, right. you don't know anybody, or or you might think, I don't agree with these people anyway, and so, but it, it's a tactic that worked, and so we're just going to keep doing it over and over and over, and man, that was something um, at a previous congregation I, I worked with that was kind of, was the big outreach thing, and we realized after, uh, like in the second year, this is not an outreach thing. Nobody's coming yeah. for it. So let's let's focus it internally. And and so we're going to get speakers. We're going to get lessons, but it's going to be to build up the church. And that worked well but, because that's who was coming anyway. But mm-hmm. realizing, as, as kind of your point, we get so stuck in these ways that aren't being evaluated. 
My point, though, is also let, let's look past those things. I think a lot of people would, would agree the tent meetings, the gospel meetings, those those are kind of things of the past. What about some other things that, you know, dare I say, we, we've never questioned? Our, again, our format for worship, our format for Bible classes, our format for fellowship. You guys just talked about the fact that, um, you know, having people over for a barbecue, for Devo, whatever, gives people a reason to say, oh, those are pretty good people. You know, that it's something different. What we're doing right now is not giving people a reason to say, yeah, I want to be a part of that. And it's not that we need to, you know, put the church on a platform and sell it like a marketer. You know, certainly not what I'm what I'm saying here. But there's so many things that we don't question these days. And again, I'm not arguing, let's just be different for the sake of being different. Let's just question for the sake of questioning. But it's broken. And so we need to do what we can to fix it and to try to fix it. It reminds me of that meme uh, where the house is burning down. This is fine. This is yeah. fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, or the uh, the naked gun movie clip that you that you see. There's nothing to see here. Yeah. You know, the building's getting blown up. You know, And that's very much what it seems is happening with the church of like, this is fine. Well, we're like you said, you referenced, you know, losing 10,000 people a year. Clearly things are not fine. Uh, to me, this goes back to my point of asking why I am fine with questioning for the sake of question. Like I hate to say it, but it's been so long since things have been questioned that sure. I would love somebody. There was a guy at Bear Valley a while back, a guy went through loving the death, good brother, but you know, he just started questioning, well, why is Baptist important? Why is all these things? And there are reasons why, but like nothing was off the table and it made some people uncomfortable. Like, why, why are you even asking this? You're in Bear Valley. Why are you questioning these things? And though I kind of get their point at the same time, like, why would we not question all of the things that we do? Because if it's grounded in scripture, it'll be fine. But how many traditions do we, do we cling to and not really understanding why? Like the, the idea, matter of fact, a guy at our church was telling us he was at a part of a congregation that or was a part of a congregation that actually did split back in the day down here in the South uh, over the covering of the Lord's Supper. And you hear that and it's like, ah, you know, probably blown out of proportion. No, that actually happened. People were really, really ticked. The Lord's Supper covering wasn't over it. It was a tradition just got held. And we all know the reason why, of course, with the flies and everything it was to, and then when they got AC, they didn't need it anymore. But we were also talking about um, when we got a projector, how big of a stir that was for people. And there's people that were just ticked. They couldn't handle it. Um, why we have to be willing to question some of those things and say, okay, is there a biblical reason why I believe this? Can I back this up? Goes back to your point, Jack on Bible knowledge. Do we know why we believe what we believe? Do we, are we in our scriptures enough to know it And everything? In my opinion, everything should be on the table. Every last thing that we do should be questioned because if it's solid, it will stand up to any question. The reason why I don't worry about it, you know, watching videos from atheists and understanding their questions on God is because I know my foundation solid. I know the, the God that I'm serving and I just want to see what questions they're asking. And there are some times where it's like, that's a really good question. How do you answer that? And you got to go study. You got to go watch somebody else who answers the question. Why are we afraid of, of chain or challenging tradition, challenging our standard practice? Well, um, something like what's the purpose of Sunday night? Why do we, what are we trying to accomplish by it? What do we what do we owe to God is the first question. That's a great you know? question. And, and yeah. So what do we do? What, why are we doing this? And you know, Will brought up order of worship, things like that. I'm going to throw one out, like an, an outside the box kind of thing. I think that exemplifies some of the things we're talking about. Inflation's high. Food's really expensive. It's really hard to to accomplish fellowship or whatever. If you've got somebody in your church that you think you know, hey, they they might be good for hosting fellowship. Literally, take some of the church budget and hand them a hundred bucks and say, here, 
you know, that's that's for a couple fellowship meals you can put on it. Put on house. a meal. Yeah. 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 You know, not just handing people money just for the fun of it, but like an expectation. Here, have some people over. I know feeding that many people is not cheap. Here, we're going to make it possible and and we'll, you know, we'll involve you in that or, or whatever. Think outside the box in these ways. Yes. You know, of like, what are we really trying to accomplish? What are we using our money for? What are we using our time for? What resources do we have at our, our, our disposal? How are we using them? And, and that's, again, that's the overall point that I wanted to make. And the reason that I see it as a threat is because I don't see, again, general statement here, but I don't see a lot of outside of the box thinking. I see a lot of plotting down the same path. And so I want to use this maybe not as a, as a negative thing, but as an encouragement to anybody who might be listening, who has the, um, you know, courage, I would say, to go to your elders, or maybe if you are an, are an elder in a position of authority at a congregation, try to think outside the box, try to start to maybe question some of the standard practices that, again, we don't ever dare question, again, not for the sake of being different, but for the sake of trying to figure out how can we fix the broken system? How can we change our fellowship habits? How can we change our order of worship? You know, whatever it may be. What would bring the most glory to God? I think, Jack, your questions are spot on. What would, what would please God the most in this situation? How, if we were planning, starting from the ground up, if we were planning a worship service and we wanted to give God maximum glory and it get maximum participation from everybody, would we come to the standard, you know, five, six songs, a couple well, prayers? Announcements first. Thing, Don't forget, like, you got to have the announcements first. And of course, so yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the Bible knowledge thing, like, is is what we're doing, does that look like that? Do we think that's what first century sure. worship and, and church activity and, and all that looked like? And so... Maybe yes. That's that's yeah, the point. I mean, some things are going we're to be. We're not saying but, it. Yeah, exactly. Not all this is bad. We're just saying, yeah. are you willing to question some Ask of those the questions? Yes. Right. Yeah. How yes. many how many things are the old cutting the ham in half we've brought up before? So um, <laughs> that's a great point, Will. Um, I think that wraps up round two. Round two was evangelizing the negative world. The why. Inability to articulate why. Yep. Right. And, and what we just talked about, the failure to question standard practices. All right. Let's wrap up with round three. Uh, who was going first in round three? I think it wasn't me. I think it's me again. Well, that's you. I think it's back to me. Um, so th- this is one that, as somebody who who works with young people exclusively, I wanted to kind of zero in on them with this point. I see uh, as, as a threat facing the church uh, moving forward is that we are growing more and more comfortable with young people being worldly. And when I, when I, the reason I'm, I'm isolating this to young people is I'm, I'm very well aware that, again, 40, 50, 60-year-olds can be worldly as well. But it's a problem when you have high schoolers that, again, Christian high schoolers, that we are 100% comfortable with them, you know, in their bikinis on the beach, watching whatever it is that they want to watch on Netflix, listening to whatever music they want to listen to, uh, using whatever language that they want to use. As long, and we talked about this with the previous podcast, as long as they're coming to worship service and are maybe at a Devo or two here and there, we're celebrating. We're good with that. And we're ignoring the fact that we are raising a lot of worldly young people. And the scary part for me and the reason that I believe it's a threat is because you have these these young people who are growing up and, and you can't see a distinction between a, a godly Christ-like or, or what, a, what a godly Christ-like young person is supposed to be. And you compare that with what, what young people are these days when it comes to worldliness, you can't tell a difference between somebody who comes to worship and somebody who is of the world because they act the same. They watch the same stuff. They dress the same. They, they talk the same. They go to the same school dances, all these things. You don't see a difference. And so, again, the reason that I see that as a threat, especially with young people, is what are worldly young people going to grow up to be? They're going to grow up to be parents who are going to 
you know, if the cycle continues, what are they going to raise? More worldly, lukewarm, apathetic young people. And that's a general statement that might come across as very harsh, but it, worldliness to me is not something that you grow out of. If you're worldly when you're 18, you know, you, it's not to say when you hit 25, are you automatically going to become not worldly anymore? No, that, that's not the way it works. And so the reason, again, that I'm kind of targeting young people with this point is that we have to stop being so comfortable with our you know, teenage guys and girls dressing however they want to dress at the beach, watching whatever they want to watch on Netflix and all these things that that, again, are of the world. We have to start seeing a distinction between, oh, yeah, that, that's a young person. That, that's a godly young person. That's somebody who's a Christian as opposed to oh, I can't really tell a difference between somebody who's of the world and somebody who who goes to church on Sundays. That makes sense. Am I making oh, sense yeah. with that? And, and there's this going back to our podcast on um youth groups and such, obviously there's the responsibility aspect, but it speaks to Jack had made the point of uh, the MLB guys. It was 28. He's just a kid. There is a lot of that going on here of there's the idea. Well, they're young. They'll grow out of it. They'll grow out of it. And it's such a valuable point you made of, but what if they don't, if you sow into the flesh, you'll reap under the flesh, right? If right. we aren't teaching them from a young age, which I think also goes back to why, why should they be Christians? Why should they do these things? But if we're not showing them how to sow into the spirit, we're not showing them what a dedicated life to Christ looks like. No wonder why we're losing so many. So as you said, a, the generations can come down the line. There's a weird contradiction here in that we look at young people in the extended adolescence and in the twenties, they'll grow out of it. They're just a kid. They're just, you know, basically they don't know any better kind of thing. And so on the one hand, we're, we're holding up as irresponsible. We can't really hold anything to them. On the other hand, you're placing a smartphone in their hands. Mm. which is right. like mm. the, the, I mean, yep. the most, you might as well put a gun in their hands for as dangerous as it is because it's doing to so many souls what gun, the, putting a gun in their hand. And, might you, and you're their, giving their them body. four sure. outlets of social media, if not more. Yeah. On that I mean, and, yeah. and again, if, if you don't know, if you are not constantly vigilant and on top of it, and, and even at that, they're really good at getting around it. And so like, oh, they're just a kid. They don't know any better. They're not responsible. And yet we're going to put this kind of danger in their hands of, of finding bad things, of finding pornography, of being influenced by the world. Of I mean, you, you just see some of these TikToks. I'm not even on TikTok, but it migrates to other social media because I'm an old guy once again. Of, <laughs> I mean, just you're I'm smart not either, guy. So don't worry. Oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I'm um, not it's Okay. Real old guy moment again. Does anybody Snapchat anymore? That was the big scandalizing <laughs> one before. One. Yes, okay. yes, I have one. Okay. But no, or, not really. Is it used? Okay. okay. No, it, it's no, kind of faded really. out, right? Because uh, yep. that was the big one before TikTok of, man, what? look at what kids are finding on here. And, yep. and now TikTok oh. is the new one of not only just sexualized content, but stuff that's teaching them, teaching them how to think, giving them a worldview. And again, we at church are trying to give them a worldview an hour or two a week, and we're just going to lose because not only is that in their hands all the time speaking to them, it's what all their friends have as well. It's there. There's going to be peer pressure to accept it. And, and without yep. something to combat that, it's going to be exactly what you're saying, Will, uh, just a direct line down into worldliness. There used to be the uh, the stat, what was it, like the average American home has the TV on, I think, for seven hours a day. Uh, mm -hmm. Okay, now give that kid, shrink that down to a phone size, let them take that TV to school, let them, give you know, them take that during, with it. give it privacy. Yeah, exactly, where they can take it into the bathroom. They can do everything. Yeah. Like seven hours a day is light. And so you think that you're going to combat, like from what, again, I'm not on TikTok. From my understanding is it's a breeding ground for transgenderism and such because there's a lot of... Um, pro 
sexual fluidity, gender fluidity um, people on there. And so we're going to take, these don't even get discussed in church, but let's say it did two hours a week. Let's say Wednesday night and a Sunday morning class, you got two hours of Bible content. You're doing that before you eat your bowl of Wheaties in the morning. Mm. Like, are you <laughs> right. kidding me? The thing, the amount of time that a kid is connected to his phone. And now so much, so much school went to screens, you know, over their little like Chromebooks and things yeah. like that. The kids get around and they're still getting on a social media from that, even though it's supposed to be locked down. I mean, the horror stories of what kids find and get into is just unbelievable. Well, but imagine that's like 10 hours a day. Legitimately. It's right. unbelievable. And the reason, once again, just to, to sum it up, that it's that I see it as such a threat is because we're comfortable with it. And, and maybe right. comfortable is not the right word, but we're accepting of it. You know, again, we see the pictures they post. We see the dances they go to. We we we're, we know all of this, thing, all of this stuff about the just intense worldliness that they're involved in. But we're not doing much about it. And again, it's going to be a cycle. It's going to be those kids growing up, getting married raising kids maybe they're still faithful as far as coming to the building which we know does not denote faithfulness but what are they what kind of kids are they going to raise just expectations if not more so uh young people well and it's this discipleship tiktok is discipling them netflix is discipling them youtube is mm -hmm. discipling them their friends are discipling them and the school is discipling them there's all right. of this we've got to go in the other direction so it's a really important one um i guess i'll go to, to my number three as well um this is a hard one, is figuring out if we even want unity. We spoke about unity in the COVID one, about the importance of, of making room for each other on masks, vaccines, all the, dis the, the disagreements that were at hand there. There's a degree to which we've got to really decide if we even want to be around each other. Um, we brought up before Vody Bauckham's book, Fault Lines, on critical race theory and social... I think critical social justice is the term he, he preferred to use in there about about race matters and he called the book fault lines because he said i'm not here to try and prevent there to be a divide he said there's already a divide it just is right. there and i'm acknowledging it and, and painting the lines and showing you what is on the other side of this line and you've got the matter of race you've still got some of the COVID stuff thankfully for whatever reason that's just vanishing overnight um You've got the political things. You've got just all of these lines of division. And some Christians are perfectly cool with saying, that's it. I'm done with you. I don't I don't want any part with you anymore. And so where that attitude is, you can't be unified with somebody who says that. You just can't. As much as you want to. And, you know, and that's where in 1 Corinthians 7, to make it you know about divorce, That's it's just an analogy here. That, that's not what he's talking about there. But it's like if they want to leave, you got to let them leave. And and if, if you've got Christians who are like, if you don't agree with me on this, if you don't bend the knee and do this and that and the other thing and, and all the performative things I'm asking you to do, we're not friends anymore, we can't have unity. And so, I mean, the ball really is in the court of those people who draw those lines in that way. That's a That's tough. That's tough. Because we are called to unity. Will's point of Acts 2. Um, but there is that that aspect of like again, I think wiping the dust off your shaking the dust off your feet. Well in Romans um, 12, 18, if possible, as far as it depends on it you, depends be on you. Right. Sometimes the it question, doesn't depend on you. Uh, the question I guess I would ask is like, how do you know what depends on you or what doesn't? And how far do you go to the other side to make sure that you did your due diligence to let it depend on you before you cut ties and say, 
I'm done. I agree with you, by the way, on your point. I'm just, I'm thinking devil's advocate wise, like that probably is not going to be a super comfortable and accepted point of like, actually unity, not at all costs. And theoretically, we understand logically that sound that we understand that, like, it sounds good. No, we're not going to be unified at all costs, but on things like critical race theory, critical social justice, whatever you want to say. Um, so I, you're, that, yeah, okay. that's going to, I yeah. was cut off by a guy, a few people, there were a few examples in 2020 of removed from uh, this guy. He kicked me out of a group. He blocked me on Facebook. We, we had had conversations. We were friendly before, have not spoken to him in two years, not by my choice. He just, went nuts on he said uh you're being a conspiracy theorist about covid well it's another one of those things that like has been proven objectively true in the time since but you know i'm not going to put up conspiracy theory and that's lying and that's you know you need to repent of that well misinformation yeah Yeah. that kind of thing and so he just said if you don't admit you know like basically apologize we're done well i'm I'm sorry but i don't think i'm wrong and i I turned out i wasn't i didn't apologize because that's not you can't put that kind of uh contingency on on your unity on on a matter of opinion the same with black lives matter there was this mother and daughter that i was facebook friends with my wife was you know more friends with them than i was but they cut people off including us left and right who would not say black lives matter who would not you know really get in on that you know of course i think it's really bad when when some of these things happen george floyd things like that I wasn't going to go along with the whole thing. And man, they, they made it clear. They made posts. If you're not on this side, unfriend us now, or we'll unfriend you for us. Like, wow. Okay. Okay. You know, and, and you imagine you post that on Facebook and then show up to church on Sunday and sit next to people who don't agree with you on that. Like again, do you want unity? Because if you don't, if, if you're that dead set on cutting everybody off, I can't do anything about that. And this might be, the scariest one of the ones that we've covered so far, as far as the threats to the, the church moving forward, because yeah. one thing that I would say about the, you know, like the fault lines book with, with Vody Balkan pointing out, Hey, here's the fault line. There are so many things that just the last three years has presented to us mm-hmm. that we can be divided over. Right. Obviously you've got the, the race thing that was just brought up the, the critical social justice. You've got obviously politics, um, but even more so lately, you've got COVID, you've got masks, you've got vaccines, you've got, you know, uh, all the, just so many, it, it seems at least, and maybe that's just me being young um, and maybe not as familiar with how things have been previously, no, it, but it seems, no, it's me, getting bad. It's a, yeah, that, there's, that there are more, you know, opportunities for us to be divided. There are more reasons for us not to have unity than ever before. And right. social media has made it to the point where everybody has to have a take on it. And if your take isn't, well, look, if you don't condemn Russia, right now, then you're a, you know, and I'm not saying what Russia is doing is wrong, but with, with, and it, you know, at the time of this recording, I guess, of the podcast, it's, it's very, uh, and I imagine this will continue to be a hot topic, but you're using it, it as is, an example, I'm using yeah. it as an example, exactly. Just to say, like, if you don't come out against certain things and have an opinion on certain things, then you must believe the other thing. No, no, that's not true. I can very much condemn what Russia is doing, but I don't, I'm not publicly making it known, publicly condemning. And there's a lot of that going on as well of people are willing, willing to cut ties. If you don't come out on social media and, you know, like the, the black lives matter where you're supposed to black out your, your profile. And if you didn't do it, then it showed you stood with the other side. 
they're the ones drawing division. In my opinion, they're the ones drawing the lines of division and they're blaming us for the division because we don't necessarily capitulate uh, or we don't. And it's not that I necessarily disagree with everything. It's just, I'm not going along like in step with everything they do and they're willing to cut us off. Okay. Then well, I guess my unity with you doesn't matter that much to you. That's not a standard of unity that, Hey, if you agree with me on everything, we can be united. That's right. literally the opposite of what the new Testament is teaching. Right. Well, and this, this ties directly back to the lack of authenticity point that we started with, rather than getting into these spats on social media, why don't you have the person over to your house and your congregation that maybe you disagree with on a lot of political stuff and, you know, bring, invite them over, not to just beat them over the head, but actually to have a conversation about it, you know, yeah. rather than let's scream at each other through the keyboard, actually do what brothers and sisters in Christ are supposed to do and get out of the, again, the inauthentic, the fake metaverse that we live in with social media, go to lunch with them, take them out to coffee, mm-hmm. discuss these things, talk these things over. That's not an option that people are taking anymore because it's so much easier to just get on our keyboards and to get on our phones and our yeah. social media. Yeah. The other thing is the the news in, in all of these conflicts designates the good people and the bad people. Mm-hmm. And yep. It's really not good for Christians to accept those designations and and to view each other in that way. I mean, sometimes people are good, sometimes people are bad, but the news is not a very good uh, barometer for that, number one. Number two, these usually, a lot of times at least, are matters of opinion. So where do we go from here? What, what Do we just wait for them to kind of kick us out and then we, or, or fall off and then we just go from there? Or... I think that's, if possible, as far as it depends on you. And if somebody says, we can't be friends unless you hold, accept my opinion on this matter, they did the that's cutting. That's up to them. They right. did the cutting. Yeah. That's going to be, I'm with you, Will. This one is, um, as far as threats to the church in the future. It's sobering. Because the other ones, really, let's be honest, all of those are taking place right now. They are threats to the church in the future as well. This one is beginning to take place right now, but I don't think we've really, um, I don't think we've come up against it just quite yet. How, yeah, the worst of it, how bad it could get. And so it's going to be interesting to kind of track this as it goes along because there will for sure be other things that divide us. And I feel like each of these things just progressively takes us a little bit further, a little bit further, a little bit further to the point that we're, we're shouting at each other across a football field's length. We're not even close to one another. And I think we're already getting there how much more can we withstand of these unbelievably big ideological divisions, uh, even between the left and the right politically, uh, it's, it's like the left supporting the transgenderism and the, the all out abortion and things like that. I know not everybody does. It's a you know blanket statement, but the radical left does. I'm not anywhere close to them. That's not what it used to be. Even when me with me growing up. So divisions are getting worse. Um, this it's guess what yeah. would help all of this be better. <laughs> Bible knowledge. Yeah, there you go. So, and <laughs> and to together. get into my third. Um, and this is our last one, I believe, right? Our last one, yes. Believe so it I or will, not. <laughs> I will uh, bring us home on this. Um, is the need for masculinity in manhood. And I think the biggest threat facing the church coming up, I honestly, this might be the biggest one for me. Um, not the biggest one on this list, but of my three, is a misunderstanding of masculinity. There's down with the patriarchy or smash the patriarchy and toxic masculinity. And there's all sorts of talk of like what that is. And when the pendulum is swung, it's swung in the direction of like, you have to grow a giant beard, which I'm kind of toast because I just can't do that. Um, 
you got to go grow a giant beard and, and stock up on your guns and go shooting with your bros while you, uh, you know, chug down a six pack on by yourself and eat barbecue and, all and the, eat barbecue yeah, and hot tropes. sauce and yeah. all the tropes. And we kind of, those are the two pendulum swings is either you capitulate and become a massive feminist and feminine male who just bows down to women or you swing to the other side. And we have to understand what actual masculinity is going forward. And, in a culture where gender is being blurred, the lines of gender are being more and more blurred. Um, and, and by and large, I don't think most people buy into it, to be honest, but they're certainly trying to get you to believe a lot of people buy into that stuff. Uh, but what I think, as far as how this goes with the church, how it's affecting the church, I think men are leaving the church. I think men are failing to lead in the church. They don't want to step up. And there's a reason why most churches, small churches, can't find any elders right now. Because there's a lot of men that won't step up and there's a lot of unqualified men because we've either, and Jack has touched on this before, uh, but we either push them into the ministry to be a preacher or you're just a regular member. And we don't ever push any into being deacons, into being elders, into just being amazing men of God. And we look at First Timothy 3 as, well, that's a qualification for elders, just elders. Well, if First Timothy 2, 9 and following is the qualification for every woman, would it not follow that First Timothy 3 with, you know, that should be what every man is striving for, whether you hit and it or how not. How much easier would it be to find elders? If exactly. That was the case? So what is masculinity? What does it look like to be a man? I think first Timothy three is a great place to start. Um, it's not just fulfilling all the tropes and, and being a body bodybuilder. Certainly some of those things I think are masculine and we, I'm not going to get into those exactly right now, but we need to start talking about the blessing of patriarchy, the blessing of masculinity, why God's design from the very beginning of a man being over the woman is not only acceptable, it's good. It's that was actually perfect. That's the way it was supposed to be. And our culture is falling apart, mainly when you take the father out of the home and you make women feminists and you make men feminine. Uh, that's, that's horrible. And it destroys us at our most basic level. A man doesn't know his role which is to lead, it's to conquer, to, to subdue the earth. And a woman doesn't know her role, which is to conquer and subdue her domain, which is the home. Uh, even saying that's like, wow, this isn't popular. Uh, it's scripture and it's, it's biblical. Right? It's born out in scripture in multiple places. And yet we're scared to say it. Why? Because men aren't men. We got to be masculine and actually start saying these things from the pulpit and in our homes and demanding that these things start taking place instead of worried about, well, oh, Miss so-and-so has the say in the back because she didn't like my sermon. I'm sorry. We're men. We're in charge of the church and her soul will be, the elders are going to be responsible for her soul. And I think in lack of elders, the men are going to be responsible for the direction of the church. So no, that's, I, I get frustrated because I see that it's not just culture that's taking aim, that's taking yeah. a swing yeah. at men. The church is doing nothing to help men step up and, and be a part and say, Hey, you have big expectations, big shoes to fill because the buck stops with you, not with your wife, not with right. anybody else. The buck stops with you. What are you going to do about it? It's really, really good to have that responsibility. It's good to be a man. Let's start talking about that again. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to avoid saying too much here because I feel like this could be a fabulous uh, individual podcast episode. You know, so yeah, I don't want to. It's going to have to. Be I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to exhaust all the content here. But Joe, I think it's a it's a great point because you think about the one thing that is being attacked on every level, from every single direction, male leadership, male headship, masculinity in general, you know, just like you said, just barely even suggesting that that is the way God designed it is like taboo. You know, well, you can't say that, not in this society. 
Um, so the fact that I agree with you, we have to reclaim it. We have to go back and say, no, that's, this is the way God designed it. This is the way that men are supposed to be. This is the way masculinity was designed by God. We can't let the world, we can't let society and the media twist and pervert their own definitions and their own uh, way to, again, pervert masculinity into being what everybody accepts and believes. So again, I don't want to exhaust all the content there. That's, I think that's a good point. Yeah, no, I, I think you're going to have a good point about hanging on to, to some of our cards there. Um, if <laughs> that's an episode people want us to do, uh, the email, as always, is jacketfocuspress.org. Because I, I think you're really onto something, Joe. Um, you and I have talked about it a lot. I think I've shared some material with you guys. It It's a disaster. I, I, I had a Facebook debate, you know how well those go, a couple <laughs> weeks ago. And it... it spawned from a post I made, but I made the post because I read a comment from a more progressive guy uh, on his own Facebook page was arguing that basically if a Christian man and a Christian woman are fully mature, they're going to look exactly alike. There, There's not going to be any difference between them. That's uh, horrible. Yeah, and it's like, well, hold on, you have to grapple with why are there men and women, number one, why did God give them different roles at creation before the fall, number two, <laughs> number three, what about the physiological things that don't disappear in baptism? Testosterone, estrogen, build. I mean, there's just so many, all, all the way down to our DNA, we are different. And and to pretend like that doesn't matter, it, it matters. And, and the Bible tells us why it matters. And, and so um, why that is and, and all the applications of it might be the, uh, what we need to hang on to for a, a future episode. But it's such a big deal. I, I think, Joe, you've, you've got a great point. Is this being a threat to the church? And leading into the future with this being a threat, the way we get out of this is by men being men and leading and establishing God's God's given um, structure for the church, which is elderships and deacons. We have to get back to fulfilling that. I think that's what God has called the church to, to do in structure. Um, and obviously in First Timothy, obviously in Titus, where he's working with these young churches and establishing elderships. And we see Paul's relationship with elders, uh, the Ephesian elders, and you know, later on in Acts. So, um, clearly that's important to God. And yet, because we can't fill those roles, we don't have enough guys that are qualified. What we do is we say, we start kind of taking off, well, you know, I, he's, he's mainly there. He's mainly got it. Right. Um, you know, his kids but close enough. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He's a really good guy. I know he's only 35. I know his kids are two years old, but they show up to church with him. I mean, it's believing kid. you know, we start cutting corners on these things because we're desperate to get somebody in there. What we need to do is start calling out the older guys and be like, what happened to you? Why you need to step why up. Why aren't you, you need, qualified? Yeah. Right? Why aren't you qualified? You need to step up. And this idea of like, well, yeah, you know, I got one, one kid faithful out of four, but you know, he's a really good guy. Like, well, he didn't lead his family super well. Why is that not discussed? And what is he doing to get those kids back? Well, they're 18. They're allowed to do what they're going to do. We got to get out of that too. That's another big threat facing the church, I think. But I know this is a, I'm, I'm a little hot on this. I'm just, I've been in this for a little while, write an article on it. Might see that at focus. I don't know, but um, it's, I just think that this is the linchpin to a lot of things because marriage is the foundation for the family foundation or family is the foundation. I think of churches, churches is the foundation of society as a whole. And so marriage is really important. It's the first institution of God. And when those roles are usurped and the subordinate becomes the insubordinate, problems are created. Um, what are we do, What are we going to do about that in the future? Men have to be men, and women have to understand that 
a man leading is not a man being a jerk. A man leading is a man leading, fulfilling his God-given role. And I can do one of two things. I can be insubordinate and be against God, or I can respect and honor and cherish and and love my husband the way that I'm supposed to. Um, And uh, assuming he's fulfilling his God-given role, he's doing the same to you. He's loving you. He's cherishing you. I think the respect goes toward him, but that's why it's good to be a man. Jack and I have talked about this. It's, and again, different podcasts. We get into all this stuff. I think it'll be a good one, but we always get into the responsibilities of being a man and never why it's good to be a man. Like, what do we get out of it? We get all the responsibility We're we're, you know, harped on every father's day as to how much we stink. And, you know, we just need to get our stuff together and, and kind of get back on track. We don't ever say anything against women because God forbid one of them get upset because we allow them to run a church. And, we wonder why men don't want to step up. It's like, I wouldn't want to take responsibility either. If the buck stops with me and I get nothing out of it, why would I do that? That's called stupidity. Well, you do get something out of it. If your wife is cherishing and honoring you, you get her respect. You get the respect of others. You get to make decisions and, and understand that, Hey, I do have the control here to do what I need to do because God gave me that. That's very good. So yeah, there's some blessings to be a man. Let's get back to that. Let's start talking about why masculinity is important um, heading into this year, I think, and, and beyond. So I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to say, I want to say too, Jack, I know you pointed out how we're trying to get, you know, more uh, audience involvement and, and participation. We've covered quite a bit of ground with this mm-hmm. episode. If you've got something that you want to add, as far as maybe get our take on, maybe we discuss in a different episode, as far as a different reason or a different threat facing the church that maybe we didn't even cover today feel free to comment, feel Absolutely. free to, you know, hit Jack's email or uh, whatever it may be. Yeah. The we want to hear from you. We really want to yeah. make that kind of the hub for connection with the show. Um, think deeper podcast on Facebook. It's got our logo. We're easy to find. Um, be comment underneath yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. 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 YouTube, Let us know. This is, if you're listening on YouTube, leave us a comment. Um, there's, there's plenty of opportunities. Be sure to reach out uh, the focus press page. I mean, we're, we're all over the place. We're really trying to, Uh, make sure this is available for people. And so uh, we know you've got thoughts. If you've got things that you would add to the list, uh, if there are episodes you'd like to request, if, if you want us to do the masculinity episode or, or say, you know, I want to, I want to hear more about that. We've already had uh, at least two of our episodes this year were listener requests. And so uh, that's something we, we really do want to do. And unless you guys have anything else, I think that's going to do it for this week. So we will speak to you guys next week on the Think Deeper podcast. (laughs) 